You're listening to the Mac and Main Show. On 98.1 WQAQ. Driving forward. He's diving to the goal line. It's the goal line. A touchdown. And a title for the Patriots. I can't believe it. The soundtrack of Quinnipiac. Is this the tiger? Welcome to the Mac and Main Show, Jack Main, Steve McAvoy, and then special guest, Professor Trip Sanders is here to talk about business and sports. Guys, it is Monday, May 11th. We are recording on the day of the drop so we can get as current as we possibly can. Quarantine's going well. We're like four days away from the stay-at-home order, uh, officially ending, but you still have to practice social distancing. Steve, how is things going right now in Long Island? Uh, so I went golfing for the first time in about a month and a half, which is nice. Uh, it was very windy. It was supposed to be the day that, that, that we were supposed to have this huge snowstorm. Uh, so much for that. So I ended up going golfing at 9 a.m. I walked six hours of a golf course and realized that I am way too out of shape to function. Um, only to figure out that they do have golf carts available, and I just completely riff on that. So, I mean, hey, it, it, it was a good workout, but uh, everything's going pretty well. Trip, how you doing? I can never complain. Uh, had a great, my wife had a great Mother's Day yesterday. I um, awesome. hope you guys remember to tell your moms as well and do something nice for them yesterday. Of course. Uh, you know, the sun was out today for a little while, then it went away, and now it's storming. But, um, you know, we that rain will not dampen my spirits because theoretically we just got really great news about the MLB and uh, possibly even professional football today. So you can see me wearing my Eagles hat. Um, the NCAA is a different story, but um, yes, I know you guys can boo whenever you want to, but uh, <laughs> I really frankly don't care. So <laughs> Well, I had I had Professor Sanders in SB 101 this past semester. This is kind of like an intro to business course. I am a business minor. Steve, of course, is a business management major, and he is going to be going into that field post-Quinnipiac career. He is doing his master's in sports journalism next year. I am, of course, majoring in journalism, so business is kind of my fallback option, but this is the man. I got to figure out which way to point. You know, it's all backwards and zoom this man right here is the guy who is going to be able to guide us in the right direction in terms of helping out the mac and main show he's going to help us kind of understand how businesses can start to get back on their feet including in the sports industry which is where we like to talk so um professor or trip you know first of all we got to hear that we got to hear the reason on why they call you trip and then also kind of like your backstory your company and what it is that you do uh, a for the school and then B uh, for your in, in, in your personal life. Got it. Perfect. First of all, thanks guys for having me be a part of the show today. I can't tell you how excited I am to participate, uh, talk sports. 
So my name is, my given name is Whitney Albert Sanders III. My grandfather and father both have the same name. So I'm the third in line. Therefore, my nickname is given to me as Trip, as in one, two, three, Trip, like triple. So, and just growing up who I was, I'm much more of a Trip than a Whitney. So I prefer to go by my nickname, Trip. And all my students, I encourage them once class is completed that they refer to me as that. But in class, it has to be Professor Sanders. So I, and Jack, you've heard this story many times. Steve, you're hearing it for the first time. I, my passion is to help people understand what their passion is in business. So if it's, I teach entrepreneurship classes, career development, and SB 101. And what that, what that allows me to help is for people to figure out what they really love to do. And I just try to point them in that direction to find an outlet, a job, an occupation that will allow them to continue that passion beyond Quinnipiac. Outside of that, I also own my own business. I, it's a small business called Networking Simple. I help companies, owners, and their employees maximize every networking opportunity that they come across through seminars, coaching, in-person event representation, and also just introductions that I help them make. And then they gain productive business relationships from those introductions. So some people call it marketing. I call it networking or business development. And I do it because I love it. And I started this business about 10 years ago, have not worked a day since. And that's what I hope for all of you, meaning every Quinnipiac student I come into contact with. Um, it, clearly, you guys are pursuing your passion right now with this sports show. So keep up the great work. I, I've listened to about 10 of them so far. And it's hilarious to listen that some of your points of view are way off, and I'm happy to correct them today. But <laughs> Clearly, you guys have a passion for this, and you're pursuing exactly what you want to do, and I could not be happier for you. Well, thank you so much for being here. We are super excited. Make sure that you guys follow us on Twitter, at Mac and Main, like us on Facebook, and then you can find this episode at 7 p.m. every Monday night on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube while we are in quarantine. So without further ado, you kind of mentioned, you mentioned it here when we were in the, uh, before we started recording, that we got some great news in terms of sports returning in america major league baseball just approved a startup plan to get their season going in mid-july correct however here's a caveat the players association has not approved it yet yes the uh -huh. players association must approve so i know we will talk all about all aspects of business in sports and one thing that we will learn or that we all know is just because somebody says something or puts it out there does not mean that's going to happen because there are other sides that don't want that to happen, especially in that context. So the players association is like, hold the phone. We haven't even brokered what, you know, what salaries are going to look like. I mean, there's so many implications that a truncated season is the only comparison that we have is the strike shortened season of years past where it was an abbreviated regular season, uh, a regular playoffs and, you know, the, the 
World Series was decided by, um, you know, the regular amount of playoff games. But the point being is that there's a lot of differing opinions on how this is going to uh, be rolled out. So, so while it's excellent news, and as baseball fans, plus you guys don't know this, um, you know, you can't see this on the radio, but this is my uh, spring training Phillies cup. That is my good luck cup that I use uh, for all time. Um, and that's where I think a lot of the regular season games are going to end up taking place. In, in the spring training facilities? Correct. Even though part of the article said that they wanted to have them back at their home stadium, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, in my opinion, especially from a business standpoint. So a lot of these, I'm trying to take the approach of looking at it objectively from a dollars and cents perspective. So however all of these announcements come out, and I know we're jumping way ahead here, and I apologize for that. Um, but, you know, one thing that keeping all the teams close together during COVID-19 is probably the better option to keep them down in Arizona and in Florida so they're close, they can get to each other's stadiums relatively easily, that they can play like some of the options have been talked about, double headers uh, on us, you know, and get a lot of those games in on the same day or double the games in on the same day. It, it has some advantages. So, and that's where the players union is absolutely going to push back. Because think about that. How many games lost will a player have if he's unable to be penciled in the lineup for the double header or how many more innings is the pitcher going to lose if they're, you know, the, if they play double headers three times a week, you know, do they do they now pitch on three days rest instead of five? There's, I mean, think about all those different possibilities could be. And so what's interesting about all this, and I kind of want to take a step back and kind of go over what has already occurred. So we already know uh, a few weeks ago on the show, we talked about how the MLBPA has already essentially worked, worked alongside the, uh, the owners and the league to say that eligibility counts for the year. Contracts will be paid. So everyone's going to get the year of eligibility. They're all going to, they're all going to get, get their work in and get their money, depending on regardless of how long the long season is, if, you, if it even happens. Because as of right now, we're waiting probably going to be in the next 48 hours. And we're going to find out what the MLBPA finally decides on. But we have this – the original thought that was going to be everyone was going to be held in Arizona. They were going to play on college fields, spring training facilities, and then the Diamondbacks at Chaseville were going to have, like, like the marquee stadium at, at uh, once every so often. But, but you, bring up, you bring up an interesting point now because they, they're, the biggest pushback from the MLBPA was the idea of we're not ready. Pitchers have been able to kind of run bullpens. I know Marcus Stroman of the Mets was doing a whole thing down in Key West where he used his peer. That, that was barely enough space to even pitch. Um, but what's interesting is that the pitchers aren't ready. The hitters, even though they've, they've been practicing, it's only really been simulated. They haven't been in-game situations. We still have to have a month-long spring training. So if we're going to start in July, we're technically not really going to be playing baseball until August, if anything, because we're going to want a month. Or do we start in June? A lot of these things are, are still kind of up in the air. But – how will, in terms of the business side of the things, this will be, be my actual question up to you, is with the fact that, that we're going to have a shortened season, they're only, they're only going to look at, at literally half, half, half of the year, probably 80 games, 72 to 80 games. 
in terms of the finances, you're not going to, you might not necessarily play in your home stadium. They want to, but at, at, at the same time, what's the difference between playing spring training as opposed to at home, considering it's just dimensions and no one's going to be there anyways. So there's going to be no money flowing. So wh- where do we look financially of why should we go to spring training facilities? Why should we go to our home stadiums? Obviously Arizona and Florida splitting time. It's easier for travel, but what are the, what are the nuances that we're not really thinking about? So cost implications from an operation standpoint, and as a sports management major, you should know this quite well, Steve, you know, you, there are fixed costs everywhere that you go. So a stadium has you know, operating costs. You got to mow the grass. You got to maintain the field. You got to fix up the stadium, those kinds of things. But when there's no fans coming, no customers. You don't have to run concessions. You don't have to run parking. You don't have to worry about all the accessory stuff that would you would need to do for fans and customers. So that eliminates a lion's share of the cost, but also most of the revenue. However, uh, and I was just looking this up the other day, there's this great website called Statista. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. It talks about the percentage of revenue that leagues generate off of ticket uh, gate sales, and which is just tickets only. Um, and then also calculates concessions, sponsorships, TV rights. I mean, it's, it's astronomical. And here's where the MLB is doing relatively okay relative to other uh, big major sports. It only derives about 30% off of ticket sales of its total revenue of, you know, and that's about $3 billion. That's right. Billion with a B that it generates off of ticket sales. Now it's survivable because they'll, you know, and they're losing money on not selling hot dogs and beer and all those other things too, that they, you know, upcharge you for out the wazoo. However, a majority of their revenue comes from television rights. So that's closer to 40 or 50% of their revenue. I mean, it's astronomical. And because the MLB is revenue sharing, meaning it's flat across the league of, you know, the Kansas City Royals make just as much as the New York Yankees in TV broadcasting rights. So they'll be just fine. Those, you know, I don't worry about MLB teams being solvent long-term. So they can weather, you know, a season like this where they're not collecting any ticket sales but it's the other you know and they'll be pushing merchandise sales online like crazy so um and that's why you might see some additional new agent signings so they can sell new jerseys for that's why the dodgers are psyched so they can get mookie Betts and all of his jersey sales that all the former red sox fans are going to go out and buy right and it's (laughs) you know just just ways that come that an organization might try to generate some additional income off of, you know, this uncertain time that everybody, everybody's business has been either majorly impacted financially or completely flattened. Like when you're talking about smaller businesses like mine. So um, don't feel bad for major league baseball teams. They're going to be, they have so much money that they're going to be just fine. So that's, that's one thing that, you know, 
Jacob Resnick, who's been on the show a couple times, and and he has expressed his opinion about uh, about how major league owners hoard 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 obscene amount of money and then don't pay it back to the minor leaguers that are now getting cut uh, from uh, from from their major league affiliates. We'll talk about that in a, in a little bit here. But I think one thing that the MLBPA needs to keep in mind is that everybody has the same goal here: the fans, MLB, and the PA. Everybody wants baseball to be played in some way, shape, or form. I don't really care as a fan. I don't really care if this season doesn't count towards a World Series championship. I just want to see the Red Sox go out and play five times a week, double headers. I don't really care. I just want to see baseball happen in America. So what do you, do you see MLB or the MLBPA making more compromises to see a season happen? So, first of all, I don't think you'll see a season not end with a championship. Players and clubs and fans even would say, well, what are these, just a bunch of exhibitions? So I I think you'll have to see it end in a – I don't think you'll ever see it just as like a spring training and then, oh, sorry, we're going to make this time. Well, yeah, but but what I'm seeing is like, you know, whoever wins the World Series – they're going to win a World Series playing half a season. You know, there's a big asterisk right there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, what they did during the strike-shortened season. I, I believe that was 90. 94. So, you know, there was still a World Series champion then. Um, and so, but getting back to your question and repeat it again so I make sure I answer it. Yeah, so who do you think is going to have to make more compromises to make a season happen? MLBPA or the MLB? I think it's going to be shared. But I think – the winners, believe it or not, are the owners because they're going to get major concessions, even if it were for only one year, out of the MLBPA just to get them so the players can get onto the field, earn their contracts. Because uh-huh. there's a, an issue in, you know, lawyer speak or legalese called force majeure. Have you heard of this or talked about it before? So it's one of these things that comes up where something like a pandemic where you cannot conduct business as usual and force majeure is invoked and it basically says everything's voided all bets are off Mm -hmm. and so legally the owners could invoke that and use that in their step you know in instead of coming to the table and meeting 50 50 they could say oh we're just going to go force majeure you guys are out of a job no pay this year good luck so I don't see that happening, but knowing that they could pull that card out from their back pocket whenever they wanted to, knowing that they'll probably get some more concessions from the PA for it. So, but wouldn't that, wouldn't you think that that would definitely be, um, it's kind of putting yourself on a double edged sword. Yes, you're giving the ultimatum to the players to say that, like, don't. Don't try and fight for too much because we could easily just back out. But at the same time, though, these owners, their their whole livelihood, like you said, comes off of these uh, television deals, and and they're able to get the they essentially you're basically just to, 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 just taking a year off. You're not going to make any sort of money whatsoever. Now, granted, there are other there are owners that have certain business ventures, like John Henry and the Red Sox on part of like uh, Liverpool football, uh, and then a few, they and own then the Boston Globe. And they go, yeah, like but, all right, he's kind of an outlier because he's making billions, anyways. But for, for for people that for people who don't know uh, in New York, the Wilpons, their entire ownership of the Mets comes solely 
from performance on the field. They have nothing to do with anything in terms of the revenue generated by TV. All that funnels into the investors because they're technically only, they're only a majority investor of like, I think it's like 52% as a duo. Then, then there's other additional uh, investors a part of it. Wouldn't it kind of be um, against them to try and say, we're going to kind of take, take, take the year off, all that's off, and if, if you guys do fight for too much? I feel like it wouldn't be... I'm not saying they're going to play that card. I'm just saying yeah. that's they have the advantage with that opportunity play. So not to use it because yeah, they would be foregoing all of the TV right revenue, which again, we just talked about, it's the majority of the, the revenue that they generate. So TV rights are so generous just to broadcast games. So they, they want that revenue. So they want the players on the field, but I just don't think that, because players are desperate to get on the field to start earning their contracts. They can't, they can't make their money until they play and show up for spring training and, and go you know, cleared and all medically cleared and, and such to, so, and make a, a roster because J- Jack brought up a great point earlier, you know, what happens, you know, when are they going to hold more players on the roster because the minor leagues, what are going to happen to minor leagues this year? In my opinion, those are the teams and the clubs and the ownership groups that are really going to get steamrolled and not in a good way. Like they're going to lose millions of dollars because do you think they'll get to open this year? My, my senses say no. And so that's going to force major league clubs to either keep more players on the roster. And what does that do for, um, uh, salary caps what does that do for uh, median salary um, benchmarks that they have to keep all kinds of other financial implications of that but I believe they'll grow the player roster again because they're playing double headers a lot um, it, it just so I think they're going to maybe raise the amount of money that they'll have to spend on player salaries this year but with that said you know there's still cap implications for years down the road. So if you keep more players, will they forego some of their uh, rights under years of contract that they have with the teams? I I don't know. So that's why I'm so interested in how this is going to play out in 48 hours. Normally this would be months of off season talk, right? Yeah. Yeah. This, this, what's, what's still interesting, though, is that despite – if there's a season or if for whatever reason if MLBPA does not approve within the next 48 hours, if there is a season or if there's no season, players still get a year of service time, which means their contracts for this year are counted as, as a year of service. So players with one year left on their contract, i.e. Mookie Betts, become a free agent at the end of the year, they are then free to go and sign with other teams. So the question here goes and asks, you know, do the Los Angeles, like I'm going to use the Dodgers as an example here because they are probably the the team rooting the hardest for a season to happen because they just spent so much to go get a top five player in baseball. Do a team, does a team like the Dodgers, if a season doesn't happen and and a world series doesn't count, do they go and do they, do they like 
have a strong argument like against major league baseball are they gonna do they have any are they within their rights to like sue major league baseball for the service time of someone like Mookie Betts I would say they can do whatever they want are they going to I would say at the end of the year it comes down to dollar and cents Mookie Betts is an awesome player no I love him I have his jersey in my closet MDP but in three, four years time, is he going to be a top five player? The Dodgers, again, and this is the mindset fans and players never have. As an ownership group, you're always thinking about what's best for the team. What's best for the team this year, it may not be what's best for the team next year. And so an investment of that level in Mookie Betts, you know, even next year might not be worth it. There could be another player that emerges that that's the person they want to identify because the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Sox, and other major market teams that just have money out the wazoo to just go after whoever they want oftentimes just act irrationally and will do that. Even if they already have six other guys under contract with you know, ridiculously high salaries and take a huge salary cap hit for it, they'll still go after them anyway. So, it, yeah. That's why baseball, in my opinion, is ridiculous because you really only have a a couple of teams that are going to win because they have the resources to go after it. Yeah, well, but but you know, there's there's different reasons why. Like in the NBA, like we we see Golden State and we see whatever team LeBron is on consistently (laughs) making the push for the end for uh, for the finals because they have the talent on the team. Like you stack your team in baseball, you just go and you spend the money. You can't do that in any other sport. So, like, kind of what you're saying, you know in major league baseball, you can go out and you can spend as much money as you want on Mookie Betts, Aaron judge, Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, spend as much as you want on anybody you want. The only thing you have to pay is that tax at the end of the year. It's not like the NBA or in the NFL where you have to manage your salaries on a larger scale. Exactly. And that's, that's why I think, and the MLB is set up where the salary cap penalties are not enough to deter teams from just egregiously violating those things. And that's why it's kind of silly. Like the MLB doesn't really care that the teams are violating it because it just makes them more money. So they pay that luxury tax and you know, the Dodgers, it's, it means nothing that they literally could light millions of dollars on fire in the same capacity. They don't, there's always more money for them to go find to do this. So to me, I wish it operated differently to give it more equity across the league. And quite frankly, I would love to see that, you know, there, like in uh, the English Premier League, there was relegation. So you had, you couldn't just go out there and tank. Mm-hmm. But we know that's not going to happen either because, you know, it's a monopoly and that's how those, everybody's in business to keep themselves in business. So, um, but, you know, I, I wanted to sort of dovetail what you said about the NBA, which, Steve, you don't know me yet. Uh, the NBA of the major sports is by far my least favorite. And so, you know, I have strong opinions on the NBA. But, you know, relative to the MLB, they're doing even better. They only rely on 22% of ticket sales. So if an NBA season is played with no fans, you know, 
NBA owners are going to be really happy because they don't have to operate stadiums. Because I heard a report that they might have all teams relocate to Disney's Wild World of Sports, if Disney's uh-huh. closed, and just make them play in those arenas, which would be awesome for NBA fans to watch at home, but horrendous for all the stadium companies that manage those, you know, like Cleveland Stadium or mm-hmm. um, even all of all of those sites, concessions would be zero. So it, it would just be, there's going to be, just like we talked about in class, Jack, there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers in this scenario. And hopefully you can just mitigate some of your financial risks in the process. And the biggest loser out of all of them are probably are most likely going to be minor league sports in terms of the, uh, the MLB, the G League, and basketball. The NFL doesn't uh, have one, obviously. And then the NHL will be the AHL and so on. The AHL actually today uh, fully canceled the rest of their season. They were kind of still up in the air. So that kind of leads in, into uh, my question is that because these entities are considered they're, – they're, they're technically private companies uh, as a whole collective. So it, it, we might not see a situation where, like, when, when a bank goes bankrupt, they get bailed out by the government. If we do see these minor league teams that will not be able to play, whether it be in basketball, the AHL, or minor league sports – might we see some sort of a bailout if they're because they're not going to be able to pay their players while while handling everything because their season won't even happen and then and then not to mention they're going to be taking funds away if they do expand rosters in the MLB or in the NBA if it even comes back in order to make room for these additional players to to join these rosters. Might we see some sort of a bailout by the government to try and keep sports and minor minor league sports primarily kind of contained? Great question. So. Every you've seen the different kinds of bailouts being rolled out for just individual citizens of the United States. They've gotten their uh, $600 or $1,200 uh, check uh, from the government to, to stay afloat during the pandemic. You'll see, you know, the business has got their paycheck protection program and they have other EIDL emergency loans. Here's where if sports applied for and was granted for, do you know how much pushback there would be from all of government and most citizens? You know how mad it would be? So, well, the, um, the LA Lakers applied for a small business loan of like $4.3 million. And everyone was like, what the hell is going on? Because And they the were Lakers, probably they granted the, it. And yeah. they were probably granted it. Hopefully they gave it back because, again, no team, no team, no, no major sports franchise needs this money. They have so they have access to capital from so many places. They j- literally could just do whatever they wanted. So, um, don't ever feel bad for those folks. The second thing I'll say <laughs> is, um, you know, you talked about would there be a bailout for, you know, lower level sports? In my opinion. I don't believe so because, and think about this philosophically for a minute, right? Do you believe that we are in society rewarding um, the right industries and the right individuals with these $30 million contracts to play sports versus, you know, first line responders that are getting paid, you know, even 
physicians, nurses, uh, techs, uh, ambulance, EMTs. Do you think that we're in line with what's appropriate for those people? Are, do we have our values in the right place? In my right. opinion, absolutely not. So I get mad when I see Garrett Cole ink that $30 million a year salary to pitch every five days. Because, you know, looking around, there are people that are basically putting their lives at risk every day, earning a, basically barely earning a living, but because it's what they, it's what they're trained to do, they'll uh -huh. keep doing it versus these guys that are, you know, running out on the baseball field, uh, making millions um, just to play a fun game to keep everybody entertained. Maybe we need to reevaluate. And I think that's what this time of the pandemic is hopefully doing. It's giving people a chance to sort of review how we compensate certain individuals. So let's talk, let's talk real quick about then what needs to happen on the, on the team league individual part for sports to get back into it. I know you just kind of talked about why are we paying, you know, athletes millions of dollars and here we are, we're going to go and talk about it. And by the way, we want to offer uh, our sincere thanks to your wife who we know is a, is a frontline worker in the hospital. So thank you so much to her and shout out to all the other um, essential workers that are, that are putting up with these tough times. So um, have you guys had a parade in your neighborhood for her? For her? No. Um, she would find that weird because uh, her, she's awesome because her attitude has not changed. She goes into work like she always does um, without even a, a thought of, you know, knowing fully well but keep in mind that they're professionals they have the proper equipment they are protected they are careful mm -hmm. um, and they're treating every patient uh, appropriately the same way they would just being cautious if the person presents with either a fever or something that might indicate that they have symptoms sure uh, but they have to treat everyone like even if they're asymptomatic so um, but but no parades, not parades. Yeah, they've been um, parades in the neighborhood for kids' birthday parties, but that's been about. We've it. had a couple of those too. Um, <laughs> but anyway, back to the question at hand here. Yeah, the sorry. the major sports that need to that that want to get back into playing NBA, uh, NBA and NHL would be in the playoffs right now. They'd be in the later stages of their playoffs right now. Major League Baseball should be a quarter of the way through their season, and then the NFL is the next big question mark. So what does the MLB and the NFL need to do to get their seasons off moving, moving games to Arizona and Florida has been talked about, but in terms of like on the, on the team and the league's part, what specifically needs to happen for things to get underway? So, so great question, Jack. I think we need to take a step back and just look at what is most likely to happen for each of these sports. So there's, the good sports that have a true chance of having a relatively uninterrupted season play out. And these are, you know, the good ones are mostly outdoor sports. So baseball's got a real shot to do. And because it's almost naturally socially distanced in terms of the way it's played, the likelihood of transmission of the virus between players is really low, except on bang bang plays at second base where somebody's stealing and you need to lay the tag down or 
you know, at the plate where the catcher is applying the tag for whatever reason. So they, so the MLB may come up with some really interesting rules to avoid those kinds of opportunities to transmit or to pass by the virus on from player to player, even though at the games they tested negative for any symptoms, right? Because you can still be a carrier of this virus without even knowing. So I put baseball in the good category. I put golf in that category too. So Steve, I was glad to see here you, you played uh, recently. Keep playing golf. Just keep your distance from the next player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and other sports are good. Base, I still list football as being in the bad category. And if you guys look on really? ESPN today, oh yeah, uh, Dr. Fauci just posted something about football because he talks about the, the problem with this virus being transmitted from people, it, it, it resides in your nasal passages. And so what happens when you're profusely sweating, like most football players do on the field, you know, if you have, if you wipe your nose on your sleeve or on your hand or anywhere, and then you make a tackle and put it on somebody else's jersey, put it on their helmet, put it somewhere else, and then they touch it and somehow touch their face and trans that's the way it got it gets transmitted so that's my big issue with football altogether we so we could be facing a season without football because you can't go to even two-hand tips football which the nfl is kind of playing these days which i don't agree with um but tackling forcibly puts that transmission piece into play and so if you have any risk of transmitting the virus between players with a tackle and you're saying, you know, we can't have this happen, well, we may not be able to have football. So that's, but again, don't feel bad for the teams, the NFL teams. Um, the ones who are really going to get hurt by this is the NCAA. Oh, yeah. And the NCA is being the most diligent in following what the CDC and Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, and other leading epidemiologists are saying, and that is, you know, you have to minimize the risk to zero. And zero means, unfortunately, no contact, i.e. And so even though football and even sports like soccer, which is also outside, but the chances that you go for a header and hit a guy in, you know, inside the 18 yard box trying to, you know, go up for the same ball, you can have that possibility to transmit the virus. Right. So, oh. go ahead. So, so speaking of transmitting, and this is, this is something that I found really odd was a few days ago, the UFC had their biggest card ever. And I don't know what was kind of going on in Dana White's head trying to plan this whole thing out. But I, I watched the whole thing uh, from beginning to end. And there's a lot of different controversy about it. But relating to what, the, to what Dr. Fauci talked about with his report on football, the UFC had some of the most bloodshed that I've ever seen on a card. They're obviously sweating profusely. It's direct contact. You're, you're in choke holds. You're in leg holds. You're in every sort of hold. You're basically – you're you're more or less having consensual sex while do, while playing this game, while while fighting somebody and basically fighting your life. What would what's the implications here? Because I know they had 
there was one fight, I believe there was a Uriah Hall. His, uh, his opponent was deemed out due to COVID. He tested positive. They had tested everybody prior to fighting a few days prior, and those who came up negative still, though, they could have been, they could have been asymptomatic. I don't, I don't know how, how deep their tests were. Hopefully they were very deep. Uh, but with that being in mind, do you think if, if this UFC fight uh, we find out in two weeks was, was fully successful, everyone was healthy, do you think we might, we might, we might see these teams kind of easing back in the, that easing back into things where, where there will be contact? Because I feel like the UFC is almost as compact as you can get. The only reason that I think UFC and boxing, I would throw in that same category, I actually have them listed as good in the good category because you have such a, it's only one fighter, right? And maybe a couple of, you know, the, the cut man, his trainer, and a couple other people. So just the fact that you have so few people involved, you could easily self-quarantine all those folks for two weeks before the fight you know and have them train in a facility separated from everyone else and just basically wall them off from society and they would be fine right and so if you do that for both opponents who are fighting each other in the ring then theoretically your transmission has now fallen to zero the problem think about organizations like football organizations that carry 47 players on a roster Probably the same number. Yeah, uh, sorry, fifty-two. They probably or fifty-three. The um, this about the same number of coaches. You just exponentially increase the opportunity to transmit. And Mm -hmm. how are you going to isolate all those people, all their families, all their associated, you know, admin people? It just becomes a lot harder. So that's why that's why I think football is really in a tough place at this moment. Think about all the college programs that have you know, hundreds of student athletes involved with the football programs. It's, to me, that's why it's going to be really rough on them. Um, And, you know, even though it's outside, which technically they say being outside kills the virus naturally, but there's still a chance you could transmit it directly from somebody when you're tackling. So. That's, that that's a really good point. You know, the fact that you could, uh, uh, you could quarantine two UFC fighters for for uh, for the for the recommended amount of time, and then have them fight. Their transmission would be, you know, essentially zero. That's something that we didn't really think about. You know, if the NFL really wanted to get a season off, could they quarantine everybody for two weeks? They could, but in terms of like enforcing that. At, is a lot harder to enforce it on a hundred people per organization. Multiply that by 32 organizations. You're talking about, you know, more math than I can do in my head. And that's simple math. Um, <laughs> you, you're oh, talking, you're talking about thousands of people that you have to keep an eye on. That's very, very hard to do. So you mentioned the NCAA kind of being the, that's going to be the most affected by this. Quinnipiac is a mid-major school. They don't have a football program, and their marquee sport is hockey, which doesn't require as much staff. Do you see a hockey season happening? It's an indoor sport. It's in the cold, which is good for the virus. Do you see a Quinnipiac hockey season happening? So it remains to be seen what the NCAA's rulings will be for fall. If the NCAA comes out and says, yeah, we can play sports in the fall, I would give it a really good shot to happen. 
So if NCAA opens up in the fall, I'd say the whole se- the whole year of sports runs. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind the NCAA gave up one billion dollars of revenue with one I because they missed out if if the if the virus had waited two more weeks to arrive in the U.S. we would have had a a, a March Madness which would have earned the NCAA a billion dollars one billion with a B in, in TV mostly. Yeah, that's what that's what all the networks pay essentially the NCA. That's their that's seventy percent of their revenue right there because NCAA football is largely individual TV contracts that the universities negotiate, like University of Texas, they have their own network, mm-hmm. the long haul network, that they generate their money and then they pay the NCAA a fee just to belong and you know be part of the clearinghouse and to be part of the bull structure but you know so the ncaa is really tied into basketball and also football for their revenue so if those two sports are unable to happen you'll see a lot of problems not only with the ncaa but also with universities and their athletic programs you might see a couple of them disappear and I'm not talking about the Power Five conferences, but some of the mid-major ones. Uh, so, uh-huh. like the American Athletic, well, the American Athletic Conference is kind of done. Um, but you know, some of those smaller market teams uh, could drop major programs. I don't think anybody will ever drop basketball per se, but because it's so inexpensive to manage. But football programs might disappear. Now, when you asked about a Quinnipiac hockey season, you know, I did list hockey in the bad category like a really low chance and i'm going to put the nhl and the you know the ahl echl and other minor leagues in there too think about how the sport itself works you've got all of these you know players digging the corners trying to get the puck out body checking each other in the dice same concept with football your the possibility for transmission is there so i'm thinking could People go back to, you know, I don't know if the NHL would ever encourage people to wear masks again, but putting those iTech shields back on and covering up all the, sh- the holes, it's like having a face shield on. Like you're preventing the transmission possibility right there, potentially, yeah. or at least reducing it greatly. Hmm. So could we get to a point where, you know, the required equipment is stuff that protects a player from exchanging you know the virus with another player and that would be signaled as okay we could probably get pretty close so you know i'm hopeful that i i i don't know what i would do if they took hockey away for an entire season Uh, that's my favorite sport uh besides you know football and hockey are my favorite i grew up playing and um wasn't nearly good enough to play in college, but um, you know, diehard as you guys can see, but your listeners can't hear. Um, I'm a huge Philadelphia fan uh, all all the way around. Eagles, Flyers, Phillies. You know, I'll take the Sixers, but I don't really like NBA. That's um, unfortunate. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, and, um, but college hockey, in my opinion, is the best 
of the college sports because you're essentially getting NHL caliber players to yeah. play. Um, who, because it's now becoming as much of a feeder into the NHL as is the minor leagues, in my opinion. So I, I think, you know, Quinnipiac's team, and I've had, keep in mind, this past year, I've had six players of the men's team in my classes, and they're all really diligent, good students, and fantastic hockey players. So I want them to play, because you know i'm i'm right there with them i won't and because if they play that means we might have a chance to have a intramural hockey season which i participate in that league as well um which i always look forward to uh, but um you know the main thing is hockey the the nhl especially you know i was talking about percentage of of ticket sales for revenue they're up in the 45 percent range okay that they depend on ticket sales to power. So they could be at one of the leagues most at risk for losing more money than most. And if you throw in um, concessions and merchandising into those, into that realm, they're up in the 75% realm because their TV broadcasting right contracts are much lower than the other three major sports. Mm-hmm. So hockey is really interested in making sure there's a season that goes in 2020. So the one category that we haven't really talked about about at all, and I don't know, Jack, if you had any other follow-up questions or I can move on here. I am curious to see, we talked, we've talked about the big four sports. We talked about college. We understand the, the brevity of college football not happening, what the power five conferences are going to be losing, considering they'll reel in $200, $400 million, even almost close to the billions in terms of Texas, and how now – uh, like, like for me, I'm, I'm a, a Notre Dame fan. So they, they would lose out on exponential money from, from, from NBC, the SEC networks, the Big Ten networks. But I want to focus in on, on these networks as a whole. So Fox has a major chokehold in, uh, in college sports. ESPN has a chokehold in college sports for the SEC, the, the, SEC, the Big Ten. NBC obviously is close with the, with, with the NHL. They purchased versus. That was the original uh, contributor. And then the MLB has their own small pocket affiliates uh, all around, but mostly in terms of ESPN, Fox, the, big, the, the bigger networks that we know and love. If these sports do not happen, and we see what they've tried to do to kind of combat the fact that sports might not happen. So ESPN has done uh, The Last Dance with Michael Jordan. They're doing a whole uh, a new series with Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire on the steroid era. So their, their whole thing is filmed. Fox Sports... NBC and CBS haven't really had the, had the, that, that, that luxury on the sports side. And just for the listeners to know, the sports end of CBS, Fox, and NBC are not, even, are not related to the overall NBC Universal-led networks. So where Fox, NBC, and CBS will have their daytime television shows and their primetime shows, the sports side is a whole new realm where there isn't like revenue sharing, but there would be where if one is kind of falling off, the other will kind of contribute. It's two, two, two different entities. So, if sports do not happen, how much money are we looking at in terms of financial losses for these groups that have these multi-billion dollar agreements with these sports franchises in order to put on their games? Uh, I would say in the hundreds of billions at, if it's all sports, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of money gets traded hands every season 
for rights and for because the reason that these obviously networks are ponying up these incredible contracts is because they can go out and sell advertising during commercial breaks and mm-hmm. other ways um, you know for sponsorships and such uh, for these so what's going to happen uh, if we don't have sports well you're going to see major changes like we've seen for the rest of the economy so you've seen you know certain industries get decimated talking about the retail industry so we would bring the entertainment and um, television industry in line with those i.e there would be a lot of cost-cutting measures put into place by you know espn disney which is their parent company you would same thing with nbc sports same thing with cbs sports fox sports you would see a lot of these you know large contract employees either getting let go, furloughed, or at least taking salary reductions, contract reductions, and major cost-cutting pieces put into place. And they would then shift, in my opinion, like ESPN has, to a lot of um, documentary content or you know things that can be created rather than uh, streamed live. So there is some value in rebroadcasting some games you know, high marquee games, but that, uh, that wanes after a while. So yeah. you need to, need to continuously come up with new ideas to put newly produced content out there for people who want to see. So we were joking with my family the other day, you know, on ESPN, the Ocho, they've got stuff like, um, what were they saying? Axe throwing is now on television. Yeah. So, and that's one of their, prime time time slots on one of their you know top five channels when would you have ever heard axe throwing competing with time slots that college basketball was on right these are the kinds of you know and could you put axe throwing in the good category for sports i guess i mean i guess you could put bowling in there too stuff that i would never watch but i'll you know it's if it's the only thing going that's what they're going to run so i think you'll see and i know i talked about good and bad categories just to round that out you know i've already mentioned golf being in the good category i think that would be the one sport that would be least hindered by this the pandemic and more less much less so than baseball per se because you know so the masters locks everybody out of augusta and only lets the players play, well, you would still have, you know, the majority of people tune in to watch Tiger pump his fist on the 18th hole, you know, beating out Rory with a 60-foot putt. And now there might not be a huge roar from the gallery, but, you know, everybody at home would be jumping up and down to watch. Right. Yeah. I, I know I would. So all I'm, all I'm arguing is that, you know, if you're a largely outdoor sport that doesn't have a lot of uh, – person-to-person contact like golf mm-hmm. does or baseball does you got to be feeling pretty good about your chances but if you're an indoor sport like hockey basketball even like think about the amount of times that people get boxed out foul or, or fouled or just yeah or when lebron james takes his eight steps in the lane to go up for a dunk and he's got like nobody touches him but he'll say that you know somebody sneezed on him on the way and he'll get his and one opportunity <laughs> That's why I don't watch the NBA because I don't want to, I don't 
like listening to them whine and cry like babies all the time. So, um, but even basketball is, is going to have its issues making the case that they can do this safely. So until there's, until there's a vaccine and that's the kicker. So um, my last, my last question here before we move on to our final segment of the day, it is horse racing season in America. The Kentucky Derby was pushed back to September. Uh, and then the, the races that would follow that are the Preakness and then the Belmont Stakes. Are we going to see all three happen in the fall? Sure. Why not? Because I, again, so it's outdoor. I mean, are you going to bar Bob Baffert from, you know, sitting there like cheering on his, his horse and his jockey to come in again and make him millions and millions of dollars? Probably not because, you know, can you clear all the stands of all the people wearing their giant hats and holding their and drinking their mint juleps? Sure. They can all do that from home and watch the, the derby from home. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever thought about going to a derby, um, but I, I'm told that the infield is out of this world. Oh, yeah. Just the experience. Um, have you been? I, I've been Belmont. I, no, I've not been, but uh, best man at my wedding has been, and another couple of close friends have. Wow. Videos out are just crazy. Um, my, my point is, is that you can run a horse race very easily. And sure. relative to, because it's, it's a one-time thing, it's two minutes around the track. Yes, animals can pass it to each other apparently as well. Um, but I think the owners have put so much money into having these, um, you know, these horses run, these jockeys train with these animals. And if they get the go-ahead to do it, because I think you'll find that America is really willing to support something like this because they just want to bet and they're looking for something to bet yeah. on. So. All right. So, hold, hold, hold on. I, I have one final question before we, uh, before we cut. So going back to, we were saying how it's almost ridiculous how Garrett Cole's making $1,700 a pitch because he's making 30, 35 million a year. I know that's a, that's a national stat. He's making roughly $1,700 a pitch. That's uh, crazy. I, I think it's about, about 2000 a strike. It's kind of weird, but because we're going to have such, such a drop-off in revenues if, these, if sports aren't played and games don't happen, and this is mostly in reference to baseball because, because every other league has, that, has their salary caps, might we be seeing situations where because players aren't, A, trying to earn their contracts, and B, these players aren't making, making these, these gargantuan contracts, players that are going to be available come, come free agency. Might we see a drop off in how much they're really going to make? Because a, we haven't seen what they we haven't seen what they've done. We're all, we're basing all all of their future performance now off of a year of a year of no sports where they just trained. And are these teams going to be able to afford these thirty five million dollar deals? Do you think we're going to kind of dial back back to where we kind of should be, where the where the highest pay contract would be around like fifteen fourteen million dollars? Or are we going to kind of see a shift backwards? You think? Realistically, no, I don't see that happening uh, because I can't see a players association accepting that kind of, again, that would be sort of a league wide give back or um, I, I just don't see 
that would be a huge ratcheting down of or a step back in you know finance for a large body of players so because that would hurt the median salary as well so you'd have to bring everything back in line with what the top players are earning so the middle tier earners or the median salary earners like when those giant contracts get signed because then their median salary also increases a little bit do i like it no i think it's horrible and i would love to see player salaries get squashed but that just means more money for the ownership, not any less money for them. So I just hate seeing players get paid $35 million a year absolutely, to, to trot it out there every five days to throw maybe 75 pitches and, you know, maybe or maybe not contribute. And if he has a bad day, you got to wait another five days to see if he'll have a better day. Like that's exactly. crazy. Yeah. Or, or, or how players like Miguel Cabrera are making – I think it was like 13 times the median salary of the average household family in Detroit. Like, like something absolutely crazy. He, he would make $5,000 for a strikeout and the average worker at Walmart would have to, would have to work a month to make that, which is insane. Yeah, that's ridiculous. All right. So let's switch gears to our final segment here before we got to like, Oh, we got to get, we got to finish up if I want to release this episode on time today. So we brought in, the business guy to talk about sports business. We just talked about how sports can get back underway in America, but who is going to make that happen? We need to go over the top five businessmen in America or businesswoman. I don't want to, you know, no, no, uh, no um, disrespect to anybody out there. Yeah, no bias. Exactly. So Steve, uh, do you have a five, Steve? Uh, generally, I mean, I'm not, the, the biggest thing thing with this was that I kind of focused it focused it in, in on sports and how would sports be able to do it. But if we're talking general, I I, I can certainly make one on the fly. So yeah, so no, I have mine are my the top five sports business people in America. I have five. If you have five, that's fine. And then I think we you and I should go, and then we'll have uh, Professor Sanders do his trip. Trip we'll do his. Um, we'll have him do his, and we'll kind of explain why we have who we have on our list. Sound good? great yeah all right so i'm ready to go i got my five right here on my phone uh we'll come up with a graphic it'll it'll be up on twitter uh later this evening so uh in no particular order these are just my top five businessmen in america robert Kraft, owner of the new england patriots already got a thumbs down from from trip um and that's because the eagles beat the patriots in the super bowl which means that no. So, all right. I don't even know who even is the owner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Jeffrey Lurie. Jeffrey Lurie. See? Yeah. I could even I knew that. that. But Come on. Robert Kraft uh, it just donated over a million dollars of uh, supplies to frontline workers. Um, he had a whole plane full of, like, the Patriots team plane. He loaded it up and sent it uh, to – uh, with over a million dollars worth of supplies, good for him. He also just decided to auction off his Super Bowl Fifty One ring um, for charity as well. So I have him on my list. The Steinbrenner family. I, I wanted to put George on here, but he's 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 passed away, and so has his son Hal. They owned the New York Yankees. They bought them in the seventies. Uh, totally tinkered with the team too many times, and then drafted a guy named Derek Jeter. Won four out of five championships. Uh, and how many, I don't even know how many times have the Yankees won under the Steinbrenners? 
At oh, least um, at least five. Yes, yeah, since the seventies, it's been a while. At least five. So I have the Steinbrenner family, George Steinbrenner, Hal Steinbrenner, uh, and his offspring on here. Number three, I have Billy Bean, general manager of the Oakland Athletics, now the president of baseball operations for the Oakland A's. He took small amounts of money and built a 102-win team in the middle of the steroid era uh, in 2002. His, that movie is absolutely great. Um, so Billy Bean's on that list. And then I have two players. One of them is Tom Brady for his TB for his TB12 brand. I uh, I tried his TB12 diet and got really fast to track. I think Steve has somehow Steve has. So what you're saying is you're in favor of the Tampa Bay Gronkineers? <laughs> I'm in I'm favor. Oh, Steve got his computer going. Yeah. No, I, uh, I my phone died, so I had to bounce out. All right. Uh, so I have Tom Brady. As one of my players, and then my other player is LeBron James. Okay. LeBron so, opened up the I Promise School, also has his, his own brand, does a lot of great for Akron. So, Ohio, my, so. My, so my top five uh, businessmen and women in sports, uh, unfortunately, when I was going through this, I realized that, that there really aren't a lot of uh, business, business women in all the sports. Uh, they're, very, they're very few and far between to come by. So, unfortunately, my list is fully uh, made up of men, but I'll, but I'll try and be as pro as I can. Uh, number one, I am, I am going to put the Steinbrenners. Uh, they created the biggest they, – they created the evil empire. Look, I'm a Mets fan, and I'm going to say this. Uh, I'm a Red Sox uh, fan, and I said it. This team, if you look at their progression from when they were purchased in the 70s and how, how, they, how the, the Yankees – and this is where I kind of critique them, is that the, their GM, Brian Cashman, I think is one of the worst, worst, worst GMs in baseball. Reason being is that the man spent $300 million in absolute busts. A.J. Burnett, Chase Headley, Jacoby Ellsbury, we, we already, know, we already know, know his issue. The Yankees are able to burn money and still have enough to use as toilet paper. Like they, have so much, they, they have so much running, and yes, they've been the most successful franchise since their founding with, with their teams in the 20s and the 30s. But this team grew even more exponentially from the 70s on. My number two is going to be LeBron James. Uh, as a brand itself, there's more. There's a player than there's a brand. And LeBron James has managed to be a lifetime earner of Nike with like a billion-dollar shoe contract. The only person who, who's, who's even made more was Michael Jordan, and that was only because he created his own brand all, off of it. And, he, and, and the man's still making shoes. My sister's trying to FaceTime me. Stop that. So LeBron James has managed to open a school. He's been an actor. He he does stand up comedy now. The man actor. All right. I don't care what you're gonna call him. Him as an actor. Michael Jordan played baseball and batted 200. Believe me, you could be an actor and be just bottom line decent. You're still you're still doing great things. He's also creating now a brand for not only himself but his family. All his sons are athletes. Um, his wife his wife is starting her 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 own brand and her own line. In her own right, I'm putting LeBron James number two. Number three is Mark Cuban. Now, Mark Cuban, I've seen him uh, on Fox News. He's been on CNN. He's done all these different things in politics. He's, he's even considered a presidential run. Uh, I, think Mark, I think Mark Cuban is – he's one of the most polarizing figures in sports because of the fact that he's managed to build not only his, his, tech, his tech growth, but then also now convert it into sports where he knows – the sports industry, he knows Wall Street. He he just he knows business in general. He he's one of the stars of Shark Tank. He's managed to uh, diversify his money in so many different ways that 
yes, he isn't necessarily a sports guy, but he's managed to keep everything all in all based around his likings and his interests, and he's managed to, to do exponentially incredible things. The fourth person is, is like Mark Cuban, and this is a very cold take to some, but it's Donald Trump. And I, all right, I'm going to say this, say this outright. I don't support Donald Trump as a political candidate. That's just, that, that, is, that isn't my leaning. But in business, I have to give him the world of credit. His, the way he's managed to keep his money spread out, whether it be his, there have been a lot of fail ventures. I will admit that. Uh, Trump University being one of the most funny ones. Trump stakes? Yeah, well, yes, yes, those as well. But he's managed to create a business, a business empire and a brand. Again, much like LeBron James, television, he, ha- he owns golf courses. He has, uh, he has investments abroad, investments, uh, investments on the home front. He has so many different ventures that, yes, some, some have failed. But, but the one thing that I've learned is that you need to fail in order to succeed. And, yes, his failures ha- have been major flops, whether it be in, uh, in gambling in Atlantic City or, um, or his university venture or even, or even in some real estate ventures. But his most successful have been in his sports. His golf courses out, out in Shinnecock, uh, Long Island, and then as, as well one, I believe, in Scotland, uh, where his grandfather was from, has managed to make a lot of money and has managed to build the, the brand of golf even further. It, it, both, both those courses are actually rated in the top 50 of best courses to play on. And as well, Donald Trump's looking into possibly purchasing a sports franchise if that ends up coming to it um, post-presidency. If that happens and they're able – to maintain, I think I think his wealth and growth could could expand even further. But again, uh, he's kind of a an outlier here. My fifth is, is um, it's gonna be John Henry, the owner of the Boston Red Sox, Liverpool FC, and the Boston Globe. The man made a billion dollars. Is one of the youngest owner was one of the. What do you know? A, a thumbs down from you. From me, John, John Henry. Hold on. John Henry is one of the youngest professionals to make a billion dollars solely in sports. The man bought the Red Sox, and I, I don't, I don't know when exactly. Two thousand, two thousand, I believe. Two thousand. All right. He started in the Boston Globe. He managed to create create a journalistic empire with the Boston Globe. He almost purchased the New York Times and the LA Times at the same time, and tried to create basically a monopoly in journalism until the government said, "No, you can't do that." He then, he then turned to the Red Sox, and now recently found himself in love with soccer and turned a lowly Liverpool football club, who at the time had Luis Suarez, then got rid of him. And that was almost bottom of the barrel, almost ready to get relegated in the EPL, and managed to win Champions, Champions, League, Champions League wins, even a championship, for that matter. He's, his work, most owners, you look at them, and they're not, they aren't necessarily uh, within the day-to-day runnings of the team, like the operations of it. He's actually he's managed to kind of stay a president owner, kind of like a Jerry Jones, but not like Jerry Jones, considering he's he's on his own planet. But John Henry's been able to to, to foothold himself in the operations, but also be successful. We don't see a lot of businessmen able to do that. Jerry Jones, Robert Kraft, at times, obviously with, with Tom Brady, has worked the prior his priors. Oh, I'm sorry, the Thunder, uh, as well as others. They they haven't necessarily Magic Johnson being one as well with within the Lakers. You see him with the Dodgers. It's worked, but he hasn't been a foothold in it. So I believe John Henry is also one of the most successful in the in the business world. I'm sorry to rant. That's my five. Trip, I want to hand it up to you. Wait, wait, wait. Before 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 we I want to rebuttal on two of them. Right. The last two that you had. Right. Um yes, Trump has made a lot of money. No doubt about that. The only thing is that he inherited a lot of his money. 
And I know that a lot of these guys inherited their money, but Trump inherited. Yes. Yes. I like what you said about Mark Cuban. I honestly, he totally, I totally forgot about him. But in terms of like Donald Trump, he was denied buying an NFL franchise in the early 2000s, which led to essentially, which led to the original version of the XFL, which ended up failing. And so Trump ended up bankrupt in that aspect. The other thing is that Trump is universally, I wouldn't say universally hated, but he is very much disliked in the sports world. I think think he's most popular amongst the NFL. But if you look at like the NBA and, and if he went and he bought a franchise in the NBA, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of players were like, I am not playing if this guy is writing my checks because I don't believe in what he did during his presidency. I agree. But we're talking about the, about the most successful business. business yes. Yes. But yeah. other than that, you're absolutely right. He has yeah. made money in the golf industry. And for that reason, he, 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 he could deserve a spot on this list. I'm not going and to defend jo- really quick. I'm not going to defend, Donald Trump for his stake in the NFL, because yes, the XFL was a, was a total failure. But the first time around, the XFL failed mostly because it was way too extreme for, for it to even last. And players, players, first of all, people, people forget this. The XFL had more injuries in the first three weeks than the NFL had in a whole season. Yeah, and then and then finally with John Henry, um, my rebuttal against him is that he has teared his franchise down one too many times for me to put him on that list. And most recently, like, of course, I've got recency bias. He just traded away Mookie Betts because for his own pocket, he didn't want to pay the luxury tax, which is chump, which is like a point, 0.01% of his net worth. 0.01%. He, he sold his home in Connecticut for the same amount of money as, uh, the, as, as he owed in luxury taxes, and he chose not to pay Mookie Betts. Sorry, man. Not with John Henry right now. <laughs> and then he tried to go and he paid social media influencers to go on Twitter and Instagram and be like, this was a good decision by the Red Sox. He paid, he paid social media influencers to convince the fans that he made a good decision. Sorry. This is some, uh, some lowercase J journalism, Jack. I'm kind of uh, upset with you. I, I got to say, you guys are cracking me up over here because <laughs> your, your age is showing here. Um, and. <laughs> And remember, you have to sort of remove yourself from the emotional attachment to some of this stuff because these are business decisions that are being made. It's hard for me to do. I got I got Fenway Park on my on my back wall. And that's where that's where when I was a young man like you guys, now I'm just an old man. And you know, even my kids call me old. Uh, you know, but I'm wiser now. And here's where, you know. Some of these ideas, I, I'm not going to criticize you guys on your top five because I'm hoping I get invited back to join you again. Um, Absolutely. So I, you are more than welcome to criticize our top five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please do. You've already thumbs down like two of mine and one of his. So, well, so maybe I have the top five, the, what you were looking for in a top five wrong. I thought you were going for, you know, sort of who has the most influence or um in the, in the industries of their sports. Oh, so no, that, that's, that's uh, totally, yeah, that's fair well, game. I interpreted, I interpreted it as people who have the most influence within sports altogether. Okay, all right. So, well, you're the, you're the professional here. So if you think <laughs> that's what that is, then you're absolutely right. We well, are probably the ones case, that are wrong. 
in so, that case, the list all, the list also fully changes in it. Yeah, you add Megan Rapinoe in there. Because you guys looked at a lot of team owners, which in my opinion, in terms of their influence in overall sports and in general, is very small. Mm-hmm. So I, and, and you guys pegged it a couple of times, the world of sports is moving towards individualism. So where you can have a person generate a brand on themselves. Absolutely. So LeBron is one of the biggest brands, larger than many of the conglomerate corporations in the world, right? So one thing that I looked at is those people as brands uh, moving forward. But I'm going to leapfrog LeBron and just say Phil Knight, the former president of Nike, he's now sort of semi-retired, but very, very active in the company still. He has had a huge influence in making those brands possible. Absolutely. Because shoe contracts and other apparel contracts are the most lucrative piece of most brand, individual brand sal- like revenue that they generate. So LeBron makes $20 million a year playing basketball. He makes $500 million on apparel sales. Oh, yeah. Right. Or more. Right. So thank you, Phil Knight. So is, is, is Phil Knight on your, on your list? Yeah. So he's, he's in my top five. Okay. All right. So I was leading into my top five with that. So I'll start with him. The second person I'm going to go to is Tiger Woods because, you know, you have to take all of sports into consideration. So golf was viewed as a white guy sport up until Tiger Woods burst upon the scene and just completely hijacked it in a positive way, brought so, he's like the happy Gilmore of real golf. And so brought so many other viewers into the sport and re-energized a really tired base of fans, but also became the most well-paid, well-compensated just for appearing in tournaments. I mean, and the Tiger Woods brand, TW, is almost as big a brand as Jordan's. So, it, it rivals, and even with his personal uh, issues, you know, notwithstanding, he survived, and his health issues with his back, his brand has uh, continued. So mm-hmm. apparently, you know, if you do, if you're good enough at what you do, your brand can survive just about anything. Oh, yeah. so, um, so that's why I'm going to, because I love watching Tiger Woods. I also love watching Rory and a bunch of other golfers, especially when they're on a roll. That is the most electrifying part of golf for me when people get on a six hole swing where they're six under par and closing in on the leaders and you can't not watch oh, yeah. so, so i'll say that my number three i'm going to jump over to olympics for a minute and i put a couple people in this boat i'm going to throw Lindsey vaughn and michael phelps in there and say for what they've done they really capitalized on their individual brand power to make themselves basically wealthier than they ever dreamed of and just riding that out. So Lindsey Vaughn only won one gold medal, won a couple of other silvers and bronzes, but starting in 08 became the darling of the Olympics and rode that all the way there. Good for her. She's a great businesswoman for it. And now she doesn't have to work another day if she didn't want to. Exactly. Most other Olympic athletes and Michael Phelps for the same reason. And he still survived his personal issues too. So again, 
you can still make plenty of money being good at something and then just capitalizing on that with your brand. My fourth one, because I've got about a hundred honorable mentions too, but I'll try to keep it short and sweet. Um, I'm going to go with Sepp Blatter, who's president of FIFA. Okay. Do you guys even know who yeah. that is? Never heard of him. So the world's most richest sport is soccer and he controls all of it. Was he post, uh, post, post corruption or, or, or. Was no, he, he survived several rounds of ouster what? because he literally just keeps paying off everybody to keep them in power. Like <laughs> that's, that's how ridiculous soccer is around the world. So yeah, he was, he was part of, you know, the Qatar getting the next world cup. He's also part of, you know, the euros Euro cup being completely, you know, pushed out for pandemic. It's all this other stuff, but he just, he controls so much of it. Mm -hmm. He had to be in my top five. Um, And like I said, because soccer is the richest sport. Um, I'm going to go next with, well, and I don't really think he's up here in the top five, but just want to give him a shout out, even though he's the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, um, Jerry Jones, self-made. He does exactly what all of his fans want. Um, and that Except is... Except for pay Dak. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure all his fans want Dak paid. Hello. Um, but I will say, you know, anybody who can execute a flawless draft from his $250 million mega y- yacht and look good doing it is like star power in my book. So he's up there. I think he's a complete jerk because, you know, as an Eagles fan, I hate everything about the Cowboys, but I do have to compliment him on his $250 million yacht. And then, you know, last, you can take this any number of ways. Um, I'm going to put MJ LeBron. I'm going to throw David Beckham in the same pot. And I'll also put out the Williams sisters for tennis. Yeah. They have really, again, a fringe sport, in my opinion, they brought it into mainstream together because they dominated it. And they became the brand that anybody tuned in to watch. Mm-hmm. There was a time where um, Anna Kornikova was like eating into their popularity just because she was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but she couldn't hold a candle to their talent. And I will say, those two women by far will have i don't think you're going to find another tennis um certainly a female tennis athlete that's going to come close to what they were able to accomplish so i'll finish with that awesome that that's a great list i had some honorable mentions too i put mj in there i honestly i had alex rodriguez as well i think the alex rodriguez rebrand is something that goes i i know i was very down on alex rodriguez too because of the whole steroid thing, but his rebrand that he had, you're not a fan of it, but he took himself, he was the villain of Major League Baseball. Yankee fans hated him. And he turned himself into one of the most likable personalities on the ESP, in the ESPN broadcasts. He's knowledgeable about the sport. He's funny. He's entertaining. He's good on camera. He, his rebrand has been very very well done one of the best um and we really are just starting to notice that in this past season my only question for you trip is you brought up the williams sisters and you brought up michael phelps and you brought up um lindsey vaughn 
in terms of for your athletes, because you didn't, you, the only one that you talked about in terms of like a brand was tiger and LeBron, but for those other athletes that you talked about, you kind of just said that they got there because they were talented, but what have they done outside of just being good to help their, help their sport grow? Well, I think, so you're right. Um, did Lindsey Vaughn help skiing grow? It certainly brought more viewers um, and sponsors to it. Mm-hmm. Did Michael help Phelps help swimming grow? Uh, I believe he did individually. Um, did they do more than outside of their sport? Those two? Probably not. The Williams sisters? I didn't research them outside of what they did for women's tennis, but I do know that Again, I looked at sports, individual sports, to see who has had the greatest impact on the, the trajectory of the individual sport over the last 25 years. So sure. uh, that's where those athletes came in. They're certainly not the wealthiest or have amassed the, the most wealth out of you know mm-hmm. all the people that I could have gone with honorable mentions too. But... Um, you know, in terms of making themselves wealthy off of their own name and their on, you know, on field, on court success is sort of, they were sort of the blueprint. Like Serena Williams was the blueprint. Yeah. Um, um, MJ was the blueprint and everybody sort of saw that and were like, oh, we could do that too. That's how we're gonna, you know, change this sport and you'll see most athletes try to go that same route now where they establish themselves their name versus maybe the team or the organization that they are with yeah it's more it's more beneficial financially to them to do that not to mention too i feel like with especially in the olympics with skiing and uh and swimming being somewhat niche sports same thing almost with tennis to a degree where LeBron James playing basketball can create a brand because you see his Nikes, you see the Nikes on his feet, you see the lion that's trademarked, you see the uh, the I Promise bracelets that, that like he has, I think he's like seven or eight trademarks. Then you look at Michael Phelps, where I, I remember seeing an article that read that I was only 11 years old, I believe, uh, during Beijing, but I, I remember I saw an article by Forbes a long time ago, and it said that it was the television ratings of every Olympic uh, event. And it's like, it's like 10 million, 10 million, like eight, almost like almost to the billions. The second you see USA swimming come on and it's a, and it's a Phelps hundred meter butterfly or, or his relay or something. Cause he's, he was just that polarizing. And David Beckham is another one of those where his move to the LA galaxy, it, I believe the revenue in MLS ticket prices would jump 200% because the LA Galaxy was coming uh, to Jersey to play, the, to play the Red Bulls, where a ticket was $15. It's now $100 because you're watching David Beckham. It's like, it's like when LeBron James goes anywhere, ticket prices are going to zoom because everyone wants to watch – everyone wants their one game to see LeBron. Like, Knicks right. tickets, I, I think, on average now are like $70, $80. But when LeBron comes, it's $230 just to, just to get your foot in the door. We aren't even sitting down yet. So it's these brands and these exposure things and relating it back to the fact that, that these sports kind of are niche where Michael Phelps really can't make much more money with sponsorships outside of like what Gatorade maybe, 
because you can't like work with speedo there's no olympic like brand that you can really like market to yourself or maybe 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 like a designer pair of goggles i don't even know but basketball sports you know that he tanked his uh personal value when he got busted for smoking weed oh yeah yeah well but again it's it's the personal issue where even though michael phelps did did get busted in that way in that way it's almost like I, I equate Michael Phelps to Pete Rose almost because where Pete Rose got got his drop off with with gambling, he's still he's still retaining he's still well known he's still one of the most well known players of all time he's 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 doing commercials now I think Phelps was in a commercial a few uh, a few years ago for the Olympics anyways to kind of promote it for uh, for Rio uh, Pete Rose was in a commercial for for, for Skechers and 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 the joke was his wife said oh oh you can't be in the hall and he was like ah even this one. Like it, it's yes, you yeah, you're tarnished, but you still maintain a kind of survival to get past it. And you can still you can still keep it up. Tarnished, yeah. disgraced, Jack. I can't. I don't know yeah. what's worse: the fact that Mac is sitting down there talking about Pete Rose being not so bad, or your reaction is non-existent. Like no, 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 no. We've right. had this. We've had these talks about I Pete Rose before. The game of baseball several times, several no, times. I, and he's the problem. Back in. All right, but hold on. Wait. So you're telling me, so Michael Phelps does weed. All of a sudden, he's 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 disgraced by the swing community. Pete Rose gambles. No, I'm saying like, if if Michael Phelps had been five years later, this wouldn't be an issue. Okay, but you're Pete saying Rose, Pete Rose for gambling, Rose, not even on himself. Pete Rose was throwing games that he was managing. No, he wasn't managing to or even playing in as a player. Man, as a player coach yeah. to, for personal gain. Pete Rose, he, he said that. And I'm a purist in this respect. He oh is the lowest human being on the planet. I love Charlie Hustle. He was a key cog in getting the Philadelphia Phillies their 1980-1981 World Series. I love the guy for that. But for his, his gambling and his um, cheating and point shaving in as an active player and manager i will never forgive him therefore in my opinion he should never make it into the hall of fame no matter how many people try to and i know we don't have time for this but man you just yeah you got me going i mean like i, I, I wish wait, we on, could wait. hold on i have my my one small rebuttal here so uh again we don't really we we don't know the facts because we aren't pete rose but he said in an interview again could have been lying i don't know but it the horse's mouth says it. I'm more apt to believe it. He said he did gamble, not as a player, but on the team. But he gambled only that they would win, never that they would lose. So he wasn't throwing games. He was still he was still trying to win games, but he was trying to gain a, a, on a different end. You know, he's only admitting to what he got busted for. Come on, it's only. No, the, I, I'm the, not saying it's like a Rod saying, "Oh, I didn't know what I was taking for like five months." A-Rod's been juicing his entire life. And just because he got married to J-Lo, all of a sudden he becomes, his, his per public persona has been massaged where it's okay. Again, it's one of those things where I can't even believe people are saying this is okay. Like A-Rod should be banished from baseball, the United States, from everywhere else on the planet because he, he lied. Mm-hmm. He, had his, he had so many other people taken down in his wake he was such a coward about it. I and, agree. And then he continued to 
make so much money off his next contract. I was, that was, baseball should have come down so much harder on him. I don't know why he got the free pass. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Well, now, well, that he's, now that he's the, the, the nice guy in the booth, it drives me even crazier. And that's not me hating him as a player even. That's just, I can't stand to listen to him. See, he's so whiny. Okay, so anybody who is connected to steroids, when I say connected, I mean tested positive and was suspended <laughs> because David Ortiz <laughs> is connected to steroids. Yeah. <laughs> um, anybody who is – Sosa, Sammy got – he was the best player out of like the funnest. Oh player. yeah. Oh yeah. No. And he got slammed. He's like done. Of course. I, yeah. I am. I am all in on players who were suspended for steroid use being banished from the game, but that's because there are procedures in place to get those players suspended and get those players banished where it is for Pete Rose is that there isn't a, there isn't a procedure for saying, oh, you gambled on baseball? Well, what do we do? There isn't like a suspension we can hand out. It's just a lifetime ban or we allow you to keep playing. There isn't, there isn't, a, there isn't like a set you know, rule like there is in baseball where if you get caught once with steroids, you get suspended 50 games, twice is 100 games, third is a lifetime ban. It's not like that for Pete Rose and for gambling. For Pete Rose, he was caught and then they were like, okay – well, there's not really a there's not really something we can do about it, so we're just going to ban you from the game. What I what I am so po'd about in terms of a in terms of Pete Rose's standpoint is that he is the all time leader in hits. Man amassed over forty three hundred hits. Okay, one of the greatest hitters of all time. Hit um, he was hitting at a high level until he was in his mid forties as a player coach. Hit from both sides of the plate stole bases when he was younger, played elite defense in the infield. Yes, he's tied to gambling, but what he accomplished on the field should be his determining factor in him getting into the Hall of Fame. Barry Bonds, Alex Rodriguez, Mark McGuire, and Sammy Sosa cheated on the field, and therefore they are ineligible for the Hall of Fame and the records that they hold. The home run leader, all-time home run leader, is Hank Aaron. The all-time home run leader is Hank Aaron. Barry Bonds, before he was on the Giants, was a Hall of Famer because he was a he was a he was a five-tool star. A Rod before the steroids was a Hall of Famer. Barry Bonds before the steroid era was a Hall of Famer. You just got to go back and look at his numbers when he was on the Pirates. I think I love the fact that this is the show. Like this last ten minutes has been the best part of the show. Um, Where has this been? our entire time we've been way too nice to each other uh well, 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 well look, we're interviewing say, you we were interviewing you yeah, oh that's fine i would rather you contest everything that comes out of my mouth and say where is your data coming from how can you prove this stuff because mm-hmm. here again you know we're talking you're now excusing pete rose for what he did and even considering the fact that he was given a lifetime ban which you can't go back on like once you're given it i'm sorry you can't just rescind it. It's like, it's steroid guys for the steroid guys. they never gave each of those players a lifetime ban. They just sort of said, well, we're going to take our time and think about it. They did not ban them. So there's a chance those guys could still make the hall of fame, which I hope they don't. Which is ridiculous. Because, yeah. I hope they don't. Well, yeah. I hope none of those steroid players do because again, those as a purist, 
it, it doesn't make any sense to reward those people that were the worst offenders. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows that they were cheating and they can't even admit it to themselves. Exactly. Even if, maybe if they had come out and said, oh, you're right. I've been using steroids for years. I feel bad about it. Maybe people would have a different perspective, but they haven't done that. But again, I don't, I would never support any of them minus Sammy Sosa, not for Hall of Fame, but just because he was hilarious. But first of all, and this is going back to Pete Rose, he gambled for his team to win. He never gambled for his team to outright lose. He he wants you to think. But Joe Jackson threw a World Series. Exactly. That's a, but that's the difference. Exactly. Look again. We don't know. We don't know these things because we're not Pete Rose. We're not the interviewer. Like those those players from the Black Sox were never heard from again. Yeah. Well, there wasn't this age of getting in contact with people. Doesn't matter. My point is, is that have we come to a point in the society where rulings and you know things that we say mean nothing anymore, or things that we do have no consequence? I mean, the argument we made. Yeah. Are we going to say okay? Are we going to give up after a while and just say Pete Rose? Okay. The fact that you cheated, gambled on baseball, and ruined the sanctity of the sport for whatever teams that you were a part of, we don't know how long you were gambling on them for. And maybe you say you only did it for games that you were going to win, but there's no way to prove that you didn't. How can we, how can we accept that, okay it, and then let it slide to let him in the Hall? What does that say about the Hall of Fame then? So are the 2017 yeah. Astros in the same boat? Absolutely. I, I cannot... I mean, every, you know that every team has their own communication ways to let people know about what pitch is coming. Yeah. This is not new. This is just the first <laughs> one that's been proven, and it got out. And, yeah, so is are all those players now ineligible for the Hall? Sure. Are I think they, so, yeah. Are they, are they going to be forced to give their uh, World Series title and rings up? Probably not. Think so. Like, why would you do that? Um, doesn't make any sense. Do you think they really care? I think I mean, the MLB was too light on the players, but conversation for another day. I think <laughs> we could honestly, we could talk about this forever. But if we want to release this episode on time, we got to cut the conversation off here. But Professor Sanders, it has been such a pleasure having you on. You can bet you will be back in this position sometime in the near future. Most likely when we are back in the fall. Hopefully we have you in studio at WQAQ because I I feel like we would we would have so much more fun if we were if we had a two our two hour time slot on live radio because we would be able to play off each other a lot better. So I'm also a lot more fun arguing in person. So if you ever want to have an argument on sports, wait till you're in in studio. I'm saying, Mac, maybe it's because you don't know me well enough yet. But I'm just telling you that you guys were way too polite to me. I was expecting a lot more pushback on a lot of the stuff that I was saying. So I will tell you next time I am, I'll come ready. He, we will, we will, we will make you cry. Don't go easy on radio. They do <laughs> say right. a positive guy, but I don't know about crying. All right, no guys. Crying. Thank you. <laughs> thank you guys so much for tuning into the Mac and Main show. Trip Sanders. He uh, owns his business, Networking Simple. Go check him out on, you're on Facebook and Instagram. LinkedIn mostly. LinkedIn mostly. So you can go follow him. Uh, follow the Mac and Main Show on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and then find us on YouTube, Spotify, and iTunes. For Jack Main, Steve McAvoy, and Trip Sanders, you have been listening to the Mac and Main Show. Everybody stay safe and stay home.
Thank you for listening to the Mac and Main Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Mac and Main and like us on Facebook for updates about the show, news, and highlights around the world of sports. Make sure to listen to us Monday nights at 7 p.m. on 98.1 WQAQ or stream us live at WQAQ.com.